What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, I'm just a man whose circumstances went beyond his control. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And, uh, you know, on this podcast, once or twice, we've talked about 3D printing, right? Yes, additive manufacturing. Yeah. No, what is that? <laughs> well, Joe, I, I'm not surprised you don't remember. Uh, so much time has passed. No, 3D printing, of course, is, like you said, Lauren, it's additive manufacturing. It's when you're using a device to create some sort of object, three-dimensional object, layer by layer, and it's uh, it's it's somewhat of a painstaking process, but it's less wasteful than subtractive manufacturing, which is where you would take a block of something and then carve away all the stuff you don't want, right? Yeah, and it gives you the ability to design virtually with precision. Right. You can prototype stuff. You can 
print it out. You can test it, see if it has has any merit. If not, you can go back to the drawing board. A lot more cheaply than than traditional um, right. prototyping would have worked. And much faster, too, because you don't have to sit there and try and carve it away and then send a mold or, or some sort of uh, other model off to be manufactured in a more uh, sturdy format. You can actually test things out very rapidly, and it really helps you when you're developing something brand new. Okay, well, I want to talk about this idea that popped up this year. I think it uh, popped up this spring. Yeah. Um, it's called 4D printing. And you know, Joe, you're not the only one oh, who I wants know. to talk about this. In <laughs> fact, almost instantly after we uploaded our 3D printer video, we had someone commenting, what about 4D printing? What is 4D printing? Well, I assume it must be one better. Yes, it's right. yes, one D better. Because four is much better than yeah, three. Yeah, by a whole one. It, it's 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 at least thirty percent better than three. <laughs> um, okay, so 4D printing, maybe twenty five percent better than 3D printing. But I'll have to what do it, the math. What it really breaks down to, it comes from this guy named Skylar Tibbetts, which um, is an awesome name. Yeah. Uh, and most people became familiar with this idea through a TED talk he had mm-hmm. that uh, sort of uh, went viral in the popular science media sure. sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this TED talk, he introduces this idea of 4D printing. And essentially what it is is combining two major concepts. It's 3D printing with programmable materials. Right. So when you think about things that are programmable, one would be like computer software. And that means that it has a function that unfolds across time. Sure. Yeah. Um, So you you give some sort of input and the mm -hmm. software takes that input, performs some form of operation upon that input and gives you output as a result. Right. It's It's a sequence of events in linear time. Sure. Um, and so what if you could create materials, just 3D materials, like a block or a sheet, that also were programmable, meaning Can't they had done. they had Impossible. functionality. Not, 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 not reality. No, it's that's, for real. What? On, on the nanoscale, that's what happens all the time within your own body. Okay, now you're yeah. blowing my mind. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into those metaphors in a bit. But basically what we're talking about is a piece of plastic, okay. say, Mm-hmm. Um, that can change its own shape or physical properties in response to a stimulus over time. Right. So put something like this in your mind. A string of black plastic. Okay. It's just a tube. It doesn't do anything as far as you know. But submerge it in water and it curls up to spell a phrase in cursive like, uh, Jonathan, the programmable material skeptic, is stupid. That I would not at all be shocked to find that. And then you can just like remove it. Oh, okay, so you could <laughs> remove it from the water and it might revert to its original state. Okay. Or you could apply a different kind of energy. Say instead of uh, water, you could apply solar energy to it or heat or you could apply... Kin- Shaking, kinetic kin- energy. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Um, so you shake it up and it curls into a prearranged shape. And the way this works is just basic physical design it, it's got um it's got inherent uh tendencies towards certain shapes and when it encounters this energy it doesn't have an electric motor it doesn't have any moving parts or, or chemicals or anything like that 
the molecules just realign to this other shape they have an affinity for. Uh, right. And in the case of that first example with submerging something in water, what you're really doing is, is printing a single object with different materials from a 3D printer. Mm-hmm. Um, and those different materials have different water absorption properties. And so when when you get them wet, they do different stuffs. Right, right. Right. So that makes it bend in a different way. So on the macro scale, we see it uh, end up taking a particular shape. On the micro or nano scale, lots of complicated things are happening so that those structures form the shape you're looking at. Right. Um, and so what Lauren just introduced is where 3D printing hits this. So I, I was talking about programmable materials, but what 4D printing says is, hey, you can print programmable materials pretty easily with a 3D printer. Mm-hmm. Um, and this could be useful in a lot of ways that we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, but but essentially the idea is you're using a 3D printer to put together a thing that changes over time. Yeah, given a certain amount of energy applied to it in a particular form. It's kind of, if you want to think of it in the terms of programming as far as software goes, you know, anyone who's programmed knows the if-then statement, right? Mm-hmm. If X, then Y, that kind of idea. So in this case, it would be if certain type of energy is applied to this material, then take this particular shape. That's kind of the if-then of programmable materials. You've you've printed something that by its very nature, when something specific is applied to it, it will change shape in a predetermined way. It's not like this is going to change shape in, in, in ways that we didn't intend. You're, you're designing it from the get-go so that it will uh, acquire a specific shape. Yeah, so... You can imagine more useful applications for programmable materials like this than just spelling out uh, insults in cursive. You could think help. about furniture, say. Yeah. Like, so, so let's say let's say I go to my favorite furniture store, IKEA, because of course there's the wonderful Jonathan Colton song about it. Anyway, I decide to go and I buy something and I bring it back home and I open it up and then I I look at the quote unquote simple instructions and I realize that the rest of my weekend is gone as I try and put this together and invariably something goes on the wrong way or backwards or whatever. But let's say that we have reached a point where we have this self-assembling style of material, this programmable material that not only will take its specific shape once you've applied the right kind of energy, but will even interlock with other parts that are that are made out of that same sort of material. They've got this great uh, part in that TED talk you were you were uh, referring to, where they show this material that's broken up into little bitty pieces inside a beaker, mm-hmm. and when you shake the beaker, you're you're introducing random energy into the system. It starts to come back together and form a a full unit as opposed to a bunch of little pieces. And this is done basically with a with with, with magnets and stuff like that. I mean, on at, right. at the current moment, these are more ideological um, yes. experiments than really deep chemical experiments yeah, and it's not and it's not something that you know the the average person is going to have at their disposal anytime in say like the next year or two years or whatever but the the principle there is that maybe in the future instead of buying a box that you come home and you open it up and it's got all these different pieces and then you spend the next if you're me, 72 hours trying to put it all together, you get something that when you add heat or you shake it up, it ends up actually taking the shape of whatever it is you specifically wanted, and it saves you a lot of time and energy and effort. And it really, all the way down the line, it means that things get simpler in design. Yeah, you could just merely dunk a plastic sheet 
into water or, say, expose it to sunlight or electricity from a wall socket and it reconfigures itself into a coffee table. Right. And I've seen some great video that was also either part of the TED Talk or just related stuff that's in the the lab that Skylar Tibbetts works out of uh, where, for example, they showed a, a uh, sheet of plastic – it wasn't wasn't just a, a rectangular sheet. You could actually tell that it was meant to fold up into a cube mm-hmm. and then submerged in water. And then it very slowly, because I think the video is sped up by 50 times normal speed, but it very oh, slowly. Yeah, it's not going very fast. No, no, no. <laughs> but it does it does configure itself into the shape of a cube, which is pretty cool to see. Now, if you're watching that and you're thinking this is sped up at 50 times normal speed, and all this sheet is doing is turning into a cube. It's hard to grasp how this could have applications, but it's really just a proof of concept at that stage. Uh, right. This lab that we're talking about, the Tibbetts Runs, um, it's called the Self-Assembly Lab. It's at MIT. And um, they're, they're defining self-assembly as a process by which disordered parts build an ordered structure through local interaction. Um, so, so what they're really focusing on is non-electronic stuff. I mean, I think that the interesting future applications are all involving some form of computerization, and they have played around a little bit with with robots, which I'll talk about in another moment. But, um, but, 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 yeah, they're you know trying to eliminate the need to simulate and then build, or to build and then adjust um, right. in the long run. By by running these thought experiments and seeing, you know, like, well, what what can we how can we use physics and chemistry to get stuff to do what we want it to for us rather than us having to go in and physically change things? Yeah, it's important to remember that uh, while the examples of this we've seen are pretty basic, this is extremely primitive technology. Sure. Now, in well, it, sort of respectively in this field. It's brand new. Oh, yes. right. It's emerging. And yeah, yeah. It's it's really just collaborations at this point between architects and artists and... Uh, There's a company called uh, uh, Statasys, I think. Uh, Stratasys. Stratasys, and, uh, Stratasys. And, that's it. And Autodesk and, yeah. and a bunch of other um, industry 3D printing and uh, and other tech leaders are, are getting in on this and going like, this is cool. What can we do? Yeah. And, and you know, there are some great potential benefits to this. For example, cutting way down on the amount of resources and energy and money that it takes to go into manufacturing, uh, building out infrastructures, that kind of thing. And that's, in fact, a, a large part of Skylar's talk is to, to on, on the TED Talks, I, I call him Skylar. <laughs> Sometimes I just call him Sky. Your bud's like uh, that, yeah. yeah I just uh, call him Lur. Lur? Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, so anyway, there's he he really points out that that they're they're taking a long term view of this potential approach and saying this is something that could be you know we love to use the word disruptive like this could be disruptive in these these established chains of things like manufacturing where uh, it simplifies stuff and saves lots and lots of money in the long run also saves energy which of course. That's really important, you know, as we're still trying to develop a way of producing energy that meets the world's needs without making it an uninhabitable place, then saving it uh, matters a lot. Yeah, because infrastructure right now, the way that we do it is is so rigid. It's rigid by design because it needs to be because we we need it to last a long time and and be sturdy and and weather the elements and all of that kind of stuff. And so. Do we want to start talking about applications? Let's talk about yeah. it. Like, yeah. like, like, what if instead of having um, giant metal and concrete sewer pipes or, or water pipes, um, we could have 40 printed? 
water well, pipes. That could actually adjust to demand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a concept that Tibbetts himself talks about um, in one of his talks. I think it's the TED Talk or it might yes, be. Yes, it is. It okay, is. yeah, but he, he talks about uh, piping. Uh, and that's a perfect example because a lot of the uh, materials they've already come up with respond to water. Right. And so the idea he has is a, a pipe that undulates so it could expand when there's more demand for water or contract when there's less demand for water or it could even um, undulate. To push the water along without the need for turbines to to move the water through. Yeah, you would right. reduce the, the requirement for things like pumping stations to, to be able to get water exactly where it needs to go. I think a lot of people when they're turning their faucets on, don't realize the incredible amount of engineering it took to make that a possibility. Yeah, um, but if the pipe itself could just work like, say, your esophagus does when you swallow something, you know how you can swallow even when you're upside down? It's because of that muscle motion in your I esophagus. I only swallow when I'm upside down. That's why you see me staying on my head whenever I'm at lunch. I know, hanging from the ceiling, drinking mm-hmm. blood in your apartment in the <laughs> darkness. We call it's, you that, Jonathan. We it, gotta, let's keep it on the down low, guys. <laughs> But your esophagus, when you're drinking blood like that, your esophagus goes, I think it's called peristalsis. Is that correct? I think that's the name. I I just call it Miller time. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's a muscle contraction that pushes what's in your mouth down your throat and toward your stomach. Right. Um, And yeah, and if pipes worked that way, that could be really useful. Another application that I think is interesting is in space exploration. Yes. Yeah. In fact, that was one of the other points is this idea that this could allow you to put together things uh, in environments that are traditionally difficult or dangerous or deadly to human beings. So whether it's in the Antarctic or in the outer reaches of space, if you need to be able to take some materials and build out structures, then something that would be self-assembling just given the right kind of energy be really useful. Yeah, let's say we want to establish a Mars colony for humans. Yeah. Okay. When, so you, and we have talked about that in the past, obviously. Uh huh. So uh, that's a that's a big step right now, but clearly people are looking towards it. Sure. So it, it's a good thing to think about how we would actually do it. We put some astronauts down on the surface of Mars. They need a protective structure in which to live. Uh, where does that come from? Right. I, I mean, and it's not going to be exactly easy to do construction on the surface of Mars. Yeah, they're, they're already limited by the fact that they're in spacesuits. Mm-hmm. They can, they really don't need to be spending, uh, extended periods of time out on the surface of Mars in the first place because as we've established in a previous episode, Mars is trying to kill you. Yeah. So you want to spend as as little time on the surface, especially unprotected, as possible because uh, you're still uh, prone to things like radiation, let alone the toxic environment of Mars. So one possible application would be to have this 4D printed stuff to help make at least the shell of some of the habitats that you would want, right? And there, the the various uh, um, well, like the Mars One project talks about using rovers to help build stuff and construct things, mm-hmm. which on its face seems really <laughs> really complicated to me. Like I, I I have a hard time believing that we could build robots that would be sophisticated enough to help doing that. But it, but if they're using stuff like this, that could really go a long way. Improve to the that. process. Yeah. Sure. You know, cut down a little bit on that um, uh, programming and or the durability of the robot itself. Right. Yeah. Also, I'm just thinking about how unwieldy it is to transport construction materials. Sure. I mean, if you've yeah. ever seen like a truck on the way to a construction site and all the junk it's got trying to fit together on the bed, um, 
and, and so clearly it couldn't could, it couldn't already be put together because there's no space then. Right. right? So but, you have so to have the parts. So you just you, you just sh- fly yeah. the entire house. You just put rockets on the bottom <laughs> just, of the house. Oh, like little, those trucks that have, have the like whole the, house uh-huh, on the back. Yeah, the oversized exactly like load that. on yeah. the back of it right. as it's flying off. Instead, you get there with your 4D printer and you've got uh, just bulk material right. basically that's like, not yeah. as unwieldy to transport essentially the and cartridges it, it, that hold the hold the stuff that you're printing out yeah and it there on the surface of mars goes ahead and prints out the parts that you need and so they can reconfigure and interlock however you need them to make the structure you're going to live in yeah yeah no that makes you know far more sense to me than trying to rely on Essentially, uh, a slightly more sophisticated version of the Curiosity rover, right? I mean, I, I think about the Curiosity rover, and it is an amazing piece of technology. Don't get me wrong. I think that it is one of the most phenomenal achievements for NASA uh, post-moon landing. But that being said, I can't imagine it building a house. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't have, and, and it's not like you could guide it easily because the amount of time it takes to get data from that a, what minimum fourteen minute time lapse? Yeah, is it all depends on the harsh. position of Mars and Earth in relation to one another, and also, I mean, even which side of Mars is facing which side of Earth. I mean, all of that mm-hmm. plays a part, right? So, it, you know, you wouldn't be able to in real time guide the robot. It would have to be able to do a lot of this autonomously, right? And that's the kind of thing that autonomous robots aren't actually that good at. I mean, you might be sitting there thinking like, oh, but robots build our cars and stuff all the time. But but that's in a very <laughs> specific environment and in which things have been very specifically laid out for it. Right. And you each know, robot does one job. Does one job. Yeah, it, it only has one job. And right. if you had if you had changed that up somehow, it's not like the robots could adjust to the new layout, right? It's not like they could. Suddenly, uh, uh, realize that things were different and react to that. It's just they would try to keep doing what they usually do. On top of all that, I mean, a rover for construction. I mean, think about how exactly much work can you get done with a solar-powered bulldozer? Well, can, I mean, one would wonder what kind of. I mean, there might be a, some other form of power cell aboard it, but I, I wouldn't know. I mean, because that just is the way that Mars One has suggested. But yeah, I think using like a 4D approach would cut back on that. Now, whether or not 4D, a 4D approach would be sophisticated enough to meet the needs of the Mars One colony by the time they actually start to launch things, oh, well. at least according to their own launch plan, that that's a different story. I just think that that would be a more it seems like a more promising approach to me than what I have read so far. I, I'd be very skeptical about it developing that fast, but yeah. I do think that leads us to the interesting question of how advanced exactly can this kind of thing get? Yeah, let's have a, let's have a discussion about that. I've got I've got an alternative to this too that I want to talk about, but I'll, I'll tag that on at the end. I want to talk about what what do you see, Joe, as like the the let, let's let's imagine that this. This approach really does pan out, that we learn uh, a lot of the different advantages and a lot of different ways of utilizing this. What do you see as some future, like yeah, really far future applications? Right now we've got basically art projects. Mm-hmm. Where else can it go? Well, so right now you can make a string that curls into this knotted up shape or say a sheet that folds into a cube. But if you were to shrink that way down and make billions of them, and make millions of different kinds of them mm-hmm. that all interact in ways that produce complex macro effects 
What you're talking about is something that's not all that similar from how living things work. I mean, what a human body is or what an insect is or pretty much any, any living creature. Any organic material, right? Yeah, is long chains of molecules that uh, they're polypeptides that are the amino acid sequence in them determines what shape they curl up into. Sure. And the shapes they curl up into interact in interesting ways that produce macro effects. At first right. with uh, with hydrogen bomb uh, hydrogen bombs hydrogen <laughs> bonds goodness my gracious and uh, and then and then uh, in, in tertiary structures with um with with sulfites and all kinds of other stuff. And you know when we had this quick discussion before we came in here to record I pointed out that when you think about it, nature has had billions of years really millions and billions of years to to really experiment and see which of these these shapes are the ones that work? Because anything that doesn't work doesn't live, and if it doesn't live, then you're, you discard that and you go on. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's necessarily any sort of intelligent experimentation. It's just that be, by the very nature of the way life works, we see which shapes are the ones that actually end up being uh, advantageous. So the question is, can we catch up with you know billions of years of evolution in twenty to fifty years of R and D? Well, I mean, that's the standard. <laughs> Anything is possible in 20, 20 to 50 years. Uh-huh. That's, that's our standard. That's our standard prediction, right? I, I, I'm skeptical, but I think it's a really interesting idea. And I think that in theory, it's not impossible because of what I just said about how, you know, you can create incredibly complex and powerful things without microchips or uh, electromechanical motors. Yeah, it does. Uh, we had this discussion earlier as well about, let's say that you are using this 4D stuff and it's able to take on multiple shapes depending upon whatever set of circumstances are applied to it, right? So let's mm-hmm. say that you have created some kind of uh, of 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 movable robotic structure. It's got some computational abilities. It's able to uh, perceive and move around its environment in some way. But it doesn't have any electronic parts. But it doesn't have electronic parts. It's all this 4D printing approach. And uh, the first response I had was, I can't under I I can't quite grasp how you would apply the right type of energy in the right amounts to the right spots within this robot to make it coordinated and have it move in any meaningful way. But Joe, you had an interesting counterpoint, right? Yeah, well, I can't imagine that either. That seems just... Way too far out. Yeah, impossible to me. But then again, I think if you went and you talked to somebody in the 1940s when Mm. computers were nascent, I mean... Would they really think that electrons would someday be as programmable as they are now in our computers? I, I certainly think that, it, and and of course this this is this completely bears out. If you look at all the predictions that people had back in the early early days of computers, they talked about you know one day these computers will uh, be small enough to fit in a room in your house and you'll be <laughs> able to use it. But that's about and as far as be- they thought. Able to compute five-digit addition problems. Well, essentially, <laughs> essentially, they they could not foresee the 
development of miniaturization. Mm-hmm. The transistor was something that they could not necessarily predict in those early days. And therefore, that did not factor into their vision of the future with computers. Their vision of the, of the future of computers was completely based on the state of the art as it was at that time. Uh, right. And clearly, if you've read if you've read science fiction from the time, it's not that people were incapable of imagining that. It's just that they were incapable of imagining it practically. Yeah, yeah. it was more like if they imagined it, it was, you know, most most of the computers that you would read about, even in science fiction back in those days, would still be these enormous devices that would take up huge amounts of space because they didn't think, oh, well, there's going to be this development where we're going to shrink these components and still maintain and even increase their power over time. So from that same perspective, I could say, you know what, Joe, you're right. I'm basing my my skepticism about reaching that point simply because I'm I'm thinking about the state of the art as it is today. But who's to say there won't be some development maybe a year from now, maybe tomorrow, where it makes all of those those concerns I have moot. Mm-hmm. You're you're using your intuitions, and these intuitions usually serve us well, right? But but sometimes, but sometimes, sometimes they're yeah. really wrong. This is why predicting the future is such a tricky thing because there's so many different elements that we cannot possibly predict uh, that that happen, and then you, it suddenly changes everything, and you think, "Wow, I I was not thinking big enough." I'm excited in the short term about combining these kind of materials sciences with with electronic robotics. And I mean, you know, we, we have talked about 3D printing electronics. Right. And um, if you take some of these materials and, uh, you know, hook them up to very basic computers, hardwire them together, you could you could construct chains nodes that would that that would be, you know, programmable and that would would uh, uh, carry instructions back and forth along the chain into, you know, telling the materials what to do and, and where to apply the heat to bend something or where to apply the water to create a certain effect. Okay, this, this I see is, what you're saying. This is very similar to something. Uh, the the other thing I was going to talk about, the alternative to 4D printing that's taking a similar approach to 4D printing in the sense of materials that can assemble themselves in different ways, but it's a it's a different it's a different pathway to that, which is the whole idea of the self reconfigurable modular robot. Right. Similar to what you're talking about here. And they've been playing with this at the self-assembly lab. Back in 2008, 2009, they were constructing these um, macrobots and decibots that that are that are basically just robotic versions of that of that chain of plastic that you put in the water and then it folds up into something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've seen some interesting approaches with this. Now, technically what I've seen is uh, these modular robots tend to look like little cubes. Or other, some other some simple kind of shape. Polygon of, right. yeah. And then they can join together to make, you know, each of these is sort of its own little autonomous unit, but they can join together to form Voltron. I mean, a, a larger <laughs> robot. But, but see, it's, it, they can form in different ways. So for example, you might see one that ends up forming essentially legs to let it crawl over an object. But let's say it comes up to a, uh, a, a tunnel. Like it's crawling over rocks and it's doing just fine, but then it comes up to a tunnel that's too small for it to crawl through based on its 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 shape right then and there. So it reconfigures itself into a snake format and then uses some snake slithering like motion to propel itself through the tunnel till it gets to the other side, and then maybe it reconfigures itself into a new shape based upon the terrain that's on the other side. Now this is in its current form still very, very young, just like uh, the 4D printing is. So the designs are 
when you look at them, I mean, they, they blow my mind. I think it's amazing what's been done so far, but it's still pretty primitive stuff. They can't get down to teeny tiny levels of precision. But let's say that we extend this form of, uh, of reconfiguration and self-assembly forward and we think, well, maybe we're able to miniaturize that and make it even more sophisticated. You could have robots that are essentially collections, kind of like a hive of various little autonomous units that can self-assemble, reassemble, reconfigure uh, numerous times based upon whatever the task is that it needs to do. And if you go even further... You've got the T-1000. Well, you've got the T-1000, <laughs> but in furniture format. Y'all, I'm talking about taking nanotechnology that can make macro-sized furniture based upon your whim. And then your whim, your whim, and then kill like your if, house guests. Right, but no. the The idea here being that you actually have nanomaterials that can self assemble and reconfigure based upon whatever it is you need them to do. That's kind of like the super science fiction version of the these two different pathways. Now, it may very well be that neither of these end up developing into that. It could be that they converge and together they develop into that. It's too early to say, but there are a lot of people who really are excited about this idea of the future where we have, you know, you don't you don't have to go out and buy a new couch. You just program your couch to have a new shape. I like that. I like this idea that, you know, you can decide to, you know, I, I have decided to change the way I live. I, I want my entire living space to be a completely different style because I am no longer that version of me anymore. And then with a couple of uh, programming clicks or clacks and whatever user interface there happens to be, you could do that. Or let's say that your robot cat is scratching up your couch. Um, <laughs> it, it could, if the couch has this technology, it could be self-healing. It could, it could mend oh, yeah. itself. You could have a self-healing couch. I wonder, and I'm not saying this is necessarily possible, but I'm just wondering how programmable materials might figure into larger infrastructure like say buildings or bridges or, or highways yeah i mean would it, it would it be useful to think about this type of material in that setting i mean is it possible that in some way a building built of programmable materials would be able to say withstand an earthquake it's, or something like it's that interesting it, it's you know it's again based upon what we've seen right now it's it's difficult to imagine but then if you were to design the building so that the kinetic movement actually strengthened the building as opposed to weakened it. Mm-hmm. Or in a different way, say, if a building responded to shaking by becoming less rigid, right. which might be exactly what you want, actually. Right. So mm-hmm. that so there's more give and it can ride out the earthquake, for example. Yeah, yeah if you've ever seen a, a photos of, of tension bridges during earthquakes or something like that. Yeah, that, that kind of that kind of if, if it were all made of steel cable and was therefore tensile, then then it could end yeah. up ripping mm-hmm. up part and being a terrible tragedy. Yeah. So well, I think <laughs> <laughs> or you know it could have the flexibility to to not um Oh sure. to not yeah. tear there's, apart. There's that too. Well anyway, the the cool thing to me is that all of this type of technology has a lot of potential. Now whether that potential ever gets realized, we'll have to wait and see, but it's exciting that people are working on this kind of stuff and it really is like a, a different way of going about manufacturing and construction than I had ever anticipated. It's not something I, I had never really imagined this kind of thing. And it's so cool to think that it's not just something that someone's imagined. It's stuff that people are actively working on. That's pretty awesome. Guys, if you have any uh, comments you want to 
chime in on the idea of 4D printing, or maybe there's some other future technology that you think is really exciting, you should join in on the discussion. Go to fwthinking.com. That's where we have all the blog posts, we have the podcasts, we have the videos. We have lots of articles that are about the kind of subjects we're talking about. We want you to be part of this conversation. So go visit the site, check us out, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.